This is Jen Rubin, columnist for The Washington Post, contributor to MSNBC, author of How Women Saved America from Donald Trump. I'm here to tell you all about my new podcast, Jen Rubin's Green Room. It's for people who love politics, love gossiping about politics, but are bored by the same old, same old that you get on cable TV and in newspapers. We're going to have guests who will talk gossip and the inside stories of Washington, but we're also going to have guests who will talk about deadly serious subjects, guns, race, religion. I'm delighted to announce my very first guest will be George Conway, an extraordinary litigator and an expert on Trump's brain. Keep up with the show every Wednesday when you follow Jen Rubin's Green Room on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I can't wait for you to join us. Welcome back to iGen Politics. This is a podcast that makes politics engaging and relevant for all generations. This is Victor Shi. And I'm Jill Wine-Banks. And today's Jill's pin is a one um, that is an emblem of the state of Florida. It says state of Florida. And we're hoping that the state of Florida survives. And we are talking about the state of Florida because Ron DeSantis is turning Florida into a state that is becoming increasingly fascistic. He has sponsored and signed laws that make it impossible to educate students on the facts of history and more that target the LGBTQ plus community, that suspended DEI programs on college campuses and severely limited abortions. He's also waged a war on wokeness for no apparent reason. He's made it harder for people to write about him or any other member of the Republican-controlled state legislature. And for those who do speak up, he has made them face consequences as well. And one of those who spoke up and has faced the consequences is our guest today, Andrew Warren. He was suspended in August of 2022 as the state attorney for the 13th Judicial Circuit of Florida after signing a statement with other uh, prosecutors opposing Ron DeSantis' prosecution of individuals who sought or provided abortions in Florida. Ever since, he has been surrounding himself with good people who are supporting him, and he's been sounding the alarm bells of the danger that Ron DeSantis poses to Florida. We are honored to have him as our guest today to talk about his story and why we should be concerned about making Florida America. Andrew, it's really good to have you with us. Thank you for joining us today. Jill and Victor, thanks so much for having me. Of course. So you were first elected as um, a state attorney in January 2017, and you were reelected in 2020. Tell us first about a bit maybe about your kind of what you did before becoming a state attorney and why you ran for elected office and then kind of what the position of state attorney actually entails. Yeah, of course. Well, um, so I was born and raised in Florida and I ended up uh, coming home to Florida about 10 years ago. I was working as a federal prosecutor with the Justice Department. And I'd had the privilege and honor of walking into courtrooms around this country and announcing Andrew Warren on behalf of the United States. And I got to serve my country in that way as a federal prosecutor. And then I ended up moving home to raise my two little girls here. Uh, Florida was always home to me, and it was the right place for me and my family to put down our roots. And after having been in the Tampa area for a couple of years, I decided to run for state attorney, which is uh, district attorney, as it's often called in, in other places. It's the locally elected prosecutor. And I saw that we were having so many problems in our criminal justice system. And I just felt like our community had fallen behind the curve of 
the the new wave of thinking about criminal justice. And by the, the new way of thinking, what I'm talking about is actually doing everything we can to make our community safe, to stop the revolving door of the prison system, the criminal justice system. And we could go on and on and talk about that. But that's what motivated me to run. Really, one, I wanted to be a leader in the change that was happening in our country with regard to the criminal justice system. And two, I wanted to continue my public service in the community where I was raising my kids. So one of the things you didn't mention that I happen to know about, because I am a Columbia Law alum, and so are you, and then you went into the Department of Justice, you were in the fraud section. Um, so assuming that my research is correct on both of those things, I wanted to ask you a little bit if you had in any way encountered anyone from the current Special Counsel Smith's staff, um, if you have any particular insights because you're from Florida into what's happening in the Mar-a-Lago case, we now have a very speedy trial set, uh, August 14th, which is really terrific. Um, but you may have appeared before Judge Cannon at some point, so or Magistrate Goodman. Um, if you know anything about any of those people, we'd love to hear your insights. Well, I, I never had the privilege to appear before Judge Cannon. She wasn't nominated to the bench until after I'd left the Justice Department, mm. after Donald Trump had become president. Um, but I, I do have some insight just because I spent you know, the better part of a decade as a federal prosecutor prosecuting complex white collar cases. You know, I did a lot of securities fraud and foreign corruption cases and Medicare fraud and the obstruction of justice and all the cover ups that usually accompany those types of of white collar fraud crimes. Um, you know, the bottom line is that when the feds are looking into you, they are usually extremely careful about building the strongest possible case. You know, it is a testament to the rule of law that the Biden administration let the, uh, the Justice Department act independently as it's supposed to, and that Jack Smith and his team ended up bringing charges based on the evidence, not based on politics, not based on the noise you hear from the political commentators, but based on the law and based on the facts. And that's the Department of Justice that I well remember. But okay, so let's look again at the uh, state attorney role and talk about some of the cases that you handled there in your role as state attorney. Well, as state attorney, our office handles everything from you know jaywalking to serial killers. Uh, wow. Jaywalking, we don't see a lot of cases because it's usually civil, not criminal, but you get my point, right? We go from the lowest uh, types of crimes, you know, traffic offenses, all the way up to uh, domestic violence and assault and battery and robbery and arson and murder cases. And I had the privilege of serving, you know, six years in that role, having been elected twice. Our, our office represents Hillsborough County, which is you know, 1.5 million people, which would make it about the 12th or 13th, you know, it's bigger than about 12 or 13 states. So this wow. is a big jurisdiction. And our office would handle, you know, 50 to 60,000 cases a year. Now, most of those cases, of course, are not the murder cases that make headlines, but it's a, a huge office, 300 total staff, 130 prosecutors who are underpaid and overworked public servants who are doing their best every day to keep our community safe. Wow. 
And so, you know, your, your role is political in the sense that you get elected as a state attorney. And I'm wondering, once you enter office, how much communication does a state prosecutor or attorney typically have with the executive branch? So did Rick Scott, for instance, the governor under your first term, ever pose an issue with what you wanted to do? Victor, it's a great question. So as the state attorney, like just about every other elected office in our country, I'm accountable to only one person or one group of people the voters. I don't work for the attorney general. I don't work for the governor. I don't work for the president. Just like every elected official works directly for the people. I had really limited contact with the executive branch in terms of the governor's office. Now, we do some work with the attorney general because we have overlapping jurisdiction over certain types of crimes. The attorney general's office handles appellate cases for us. We work together on crime prevention programs, but that's essentially voluntary. We choose to do that because it's the right thing to do. And directly to your question about interaction with the governor, as state attorney, I did have interaction with Rick Scott when he was the governor because we had a very high profile case involving a young man who ended up killing four innocent victims in Tampa. And it was he was known as the Seminole Heights serial killer. And Rick Scott uh, reached out to make sure that we had the resources we needed from a law enforcement standpoint, an investigative standpoint, and a prosecutorial standpoint, you know, doing what a good governor would do, checking in on uh, an issue that's important to constituents. Never had any such interaction with Governor DeSantis. Never heard anything from his office. Never, never seemed to care about anything going on in our criminal justice system. And certainly never reached out to discuss any of the important issues that we handle every day. So hearing from him was sort of unusual. You had no prior warning that Governor DeSantis was going to come after you. Um, but let's talk about why he did exactly what action you took that caused him to do that, why he targeted you and not any of the other signers of the letter. Um, I, I'd love to have you explain that to our audience. Sure. Well, let's start with the fact that the governor's suspension of me was illegal. And that's not my opinion. That's a fact. A federal judge, after a trial, found that the suspension violated state and federal law. And so we can spend all, you know, all day talking about the ins and outs of the case and why it was illegal. But here's the bottom line. The court found, again, this is not Andrew Warren's opinion. These are factual findings by a federal court after a trial on the merits. The federal judge found that the governor's motivation was basically twofold. One, he wanted to take down a prosecutor who he just disagreed with politically and philosophically. And two, he wanted to reap what he perceived to be the political benefit from doing so. So in short, he suspended me for politics and for publicity. That's what a court found. And the court found that that violated my First Amendment rights because he retaliated against me for speaking out on issues of public importance. And he broke state law because federal law only gives the governor a very limited power to suspend an elected official. And it's usually in case like where if I'd committed a crime or if I had had a stroke and I was simply unable to perform the duties of my office, there is no authority in the Florida Constitution for the governor to suspend an elected official just because he wants to for political reasons and for publicity. And that's why the court found that the governor broke the law. Unfor unfortunately, though, the, the court did say that it didn't have the power to reinstate you. So talk about that. Sure. So the court concluded 
that it didn't have the jurisdiction to reinstate me because it found that the governor's violations of state law were essentially more important than the violations of federal law. And to break this down a little bit, and, and again, I don't want to get into like the weeds of the opinion, everything, but to make it sort of simple to digest, the court said, the court found the governor wanted to suspend me for reasons that were uh, inappropriate and unlawful under the federal constitution, under the U.S. Constitution, and under state law. But he said those violations of state law were more significant in the governor's motivation, and therefore, I really have to go to state court. Now, we're, we've appealed that issue because we think that when there's a violation of both federal and state law, federal courts certainly have the jurisdiction to get involved. And there's a long line of uh, case precedent going up to the Supreme Court that shows that's the case. But right now, we're just waiting patiently for the federal court to rule as to whether, given the lower court's findings that this was illegal, they have the power to reinstate me. And have you already argued that case in the appellate court? We did. That case was argued before the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals on May 2nd. Oh, nice. And how, so do you know if there were any other state attorneys like yourself on that list? And if so, were they targeted in any other way like you? You know, it's interesting because the short answer to that is no. You would think it would be yes. But what came out during the trial is that there was no list. There was no investigation. There was no inquiry. Inquiry. The governor has lied about this. He has stood up and claimed that, you know, he, his staff looked at all the state attorneys and tried to find out who wasn't enforcing the law. And this is the this is sort of the bogus claim he's had from the beginning. You know, Andrew Warren wasn't doing his job. Well, the judge said that was completely not true. And what came out during trial was there was no investigation. They just simply said, oh, let's go after Andrew Warren. He's a Democrat. Uh, he's someone that we can get publicity for, and he's someone that we disagree with, with the way he's doing his job, and we disagree with him politically. That was it. Wow. Has there ever been anything like this by any other governor uh, before Ron DeSantis? Yeah, I think governors in North Korea and China tend to do this. <laughs> um, they just decide we don't like the people in office, and so we're going to remove them. Uh, has it ever happened in the history of Florida? No. Has it ever happened in the history of our country? No, because we have laws and governors usually have to follow the law. And in this case, what, you know, what's really, I want to say interesting, but it's actually so frustrating is that after a judge found that the governor broke the law and said, you broke the law, this was illegal. The governor, excuse me, the judge actually called on the governor to reinstate me. In the opinion, the judge said, you know, I, I, the judge, find that I may not have the jurisdiction to do this. But he wrote, if the facts matter, then the governor can simply rescind the suspension and reinstate Andrew because I found that he hasn't done anything wrong and your suspension is illegal. And what did the governor do? Simply ignored it. Not only did he ignore it, he continues to go stumping around the country bragging about having done something that broke state and federal law. I don't know where else you see that. Certainly, we're not used to seeing it in Florida or in the United States. But again, go to North Korea. I'm sure people brag about breaking the law there all the time. And I'm assuming you aren't the only Democrat who serves as a state attorney. I'm not. Um, in addition to me, there are, I believe, five other Democratic state attorneys out of the 20 in the state of Florida. So, oh, so six out of 20 in total. Okay, so pretty small percentage. And I, were you replaced by a Democrat or were you replaced by someone who appoints your replacement? 
Oh, well, very conveniently, the governor get, gets oh. to appoint my replacement. So he appointed someone who, you know, was one of his acolytes um, who, uh, you know, was put into that position and is there, frankly, in an illegal role uh, through no fault of her own necessarily at this point, or at least until the court ruled that she was there illegally. The governor put someone in through an illegal suspension. But the problem is you have someone in that office who is not accountable to the voters, yeah, who's never received right. a single vote to serve in that office. That's why we have elections. I mean, my, my nine-year-old daughter understands this. Voters decide who serves an elected office. We don't have governors that do it, and we certainly don't have kings who do it. I mean, it's so revolting. Have you heard from Ron DeSantis or his, from his office since they removed you? And also, I mean, given kind of where we are right now, do you still have a job and are you still getting paid? Uh, I'll start with the second question first. Uh, no. So I was suspended. Uh, ultimately, the question will be if whether a court reinstates me if they find that the suspension was unlawful, which, again, the federal court already found. And if not, it potentially goes to the Senate to be removed. So in a case where a governor properly exercises that limited power, like, for example, if I had committed a crime, the governor would suspend me and then it would go to the Senate to decide whether I would be removed. But I, I don't get paid in the interim. Um, and then, I'm sorry, the first question, Victor, you were asking about. Um, if you've ever heard from Ron DeSantis or his office since uh, he removed you. We, we've only had communications with his office through the litigation that we filed. So basically through the lawyers, you know, they never gave me a heads up. They never asked questions. They just alleged things that the court of law found that they knew were not true at the time. Someone showed up in my office with two armed deputies in the middle of my workday and told me that I'd been suspended. They handed me a copy, an impartial, you know, incomplete copy of the order of suspension and escorted me out by two, again, two armed deputies forced me out of my office. That must have been really quite a scene. And have you considered um, filing any lawsuit in the state court? Um, and also, when is the next election and are you going to run for re-election uh, for this position? So we did file a state court action as well. After the federal court decision came back, we filed a, a case with the Florida Supreme Court because, you know, clearly they have jurisdiction. And again, in our belief, the federal courts do as well. So right now there are two cases pending. There's the federal case on appeal and there's the state case pending before the Florida Supreme Court. Um, the next election is November of 2024, so in roughly 18 months from now. Uh, but again, the problem is that you have someone who's unaccountable to the voters, someone who is not elected to be there, and you have, you've had a fair and free election overturned by an illegal order by the governor, and the voters of Hillsborough County deserve better than that. And the, vote, the Floridians deserve better than that. They deserve to know that elections still have meaning in the state of Florida, despite the governor's willingness to break the law and overturn them. And the people of America need to know that before they vote in primaries, because Ron DeSantis is a candidate now for president and is campaigning in other states. And I hope that people listening will make sure that they post this on social media and let friends in all the early primary states know what is happening in Florida with this illegal conduct and what it means in terms of, as you said, overturning an election. You were duly elected by the voters 
And he, for reasons, now he he did claim, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he has said that you had declined to prosecute certain cases, which my understanding is were an unconstitutional abortion ban and gender affirming um, rules. So tell me about that. Is, is that what he said? And what are the facts of that? Yeah. Yeah. The governor said that, but he's lying. I mean, it's as simple as that. He, the governor lives in a world divorced from reality sometimes. He just stands up and says things that aren't true. You know, he, he, he's probably going to go to Iowa and claim that Iowa won the national championship sport because, you know, it's convenient for him to say politically. Um, so the truth is that I had, uh, in addition to many other things as state attorney, I had expressed my concern about the rush to criminalize abortion in the wake of the Dobbs decision last spring that overturned Roe v. Wade. And I said that prosecutors shouldn't be in the habit of criminalizing private medical decisions. Florida had passed a 15-week law that at the time was found to be unconstitutional, and it still hasn't even been resolved yet in the courts. Um, but I, was, I spoke out about an issue that was affecting not just Florida, and frankly, wasn't even specific to Florida. It was about issues nationally. I did also sign a letter talking about uh, discrimination that had been happening against transgender Americans and rushes by states to criminalize transgender Americans, transgender people, including transgender healthcare. Now, Florida doesn't even have a law on the books about it. Well, they do now, actually, though it was found unconstitutional, along with a lot of other laws the governor's championed. But at the time I signed on to the letter, and at the time I was suspended, there wasn't even a law on the books. The governor just picked these two issues to say, this is where this state attorney has shown that he thinks he you know, isn't going to follow the law. Again, the court found that was simply not true. And facts revealed at trial showed that the governor and his office knew they weren't true at the time they said them. Now, I, I'm, you know, I'm a lawyer, but when I talk to my kids about when they say something that they know is not true, we call that a lie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, go ahead, Victor. I was just going to say, I mean, I, I hope everyone understands that too. But I think that's a good segue to talk about Ron DeSantis more generally because he is running for president and hearing what happened to you, I hope will alarm this entire country and people who are thinking about voting for him and kind of what that could mean for the country. But for those who maybe don't follow Ron DeSantis as closely as you know we do, what should people know about him? Uh, he's a threat to democracy. I mean, it's as simple as that. He is a threat to our, the republic that we have in this country. Uh, he's someone who is willing to violate the rule of law. He is someone that's willing to play to the lowest common denominator. He is essentially the next evolution of Donald Trump, someone who doesn't care about governing for the people, who doesn't care about solving problems. He's someone who his entire MO is being this carnival barker, a reality TV politician who just angers people and gets a rise out of people and creates issues that problems that don't even exist because it helps them politically. And, and someone like that who lacks a moral compass is really dangerous. Someone who's willing to break the law to get cheap applause or to get some votes is really dangerous to our country. And we can see the similarities. I mean, as I've been listening to you, the image of Donald Trump 
comes up as much as the image of Ron DeSantis because of the lying, saying anything that's convenient, making up things, abusing his power of office. Those are all things that we have seen already. So I hope, again, that our audience will take seriously the threat that he poses. There's a particular through line that I'm seeing in addition to all that, which is the First Amendment. And that seems to me was one of the issues in what happened with Disney. Uh, so do you want to comment at all about Disney and how he attacked them? Um, and he's come after their leadership. He's made it harder for them to do business in the state. And all of that is, aside from interfering with the First Amendment, seems to me to be stupid business for the state of Florida, where one of, if not the largest employer in the state of Florida is Disney. You don't want to chase away that employer. So can you talk a little bit more about the context of what he's doing to Disney and how it relates to what he did to you? Yeah, of course. I mean, Disney is perhaps the most egregious or the best known example of DeSantis punishing somebody, or in this case, a business, because he disagrees with their politics. You know, the governor passed a law which critics have called the Don't Say Gay Bill, which is really a limits conversation about uh, sexual identity uh, in the classroom. And we can have a robust dialogue about whether that's a good law or a bad law. You know, I, I think it's a bad law, but okay, there are two sides to the issue, fine. But what the governor did is when Disney said, we think this is a bad law, the governor said, you cross the line, you're not allowed to speak your mind and I'm gonna punish you. And he went after them. He basically dissolved the special district that has existed for you know 50 years. There are thousands of them in Florida. It's not anything particular to Disney. He installed his uh, his own, um, you know, cadre of people to now oversee the special district. He started talking about what he was going to do, you know, limiting the development they can do and um, shred contracts that they have with the state and interfere with their business. And Disney, in the aftermath of that, said that they're not going to do a planned expansion here, which was going to uh, bring in a billion dollars of tax revenue and several thousand jobs. So this has already hurt Floridians. And it's clearly unconstitutional. Government cannot punish people for speaking their minds. I mean, that's what the First Amendment guarantees. And if this were the only example of it, okay, it'd be one big example of Governor DeSantis just, you know, egregiously violating the First Amendment. But in my case, he was found to have violated the First Amendment. He, they passed a social media ban that violated the First Amendment. The governor championed an anti-protest law that violated the First Amendment. I mean, law after law has been thrown out by the courts here for violating the First Amendment. Anytime you hear the governor DeSantis talk about the rule of law and the Constitution, someone needs to hand him a copy of the Constitution because he's clearly never read past the First Amendment that guarantees free speech in this country. You mentioned something that I just want to ask a follow-up because it's one of those things I have personally wondered and haven't seen answered. And that is, you mentioned he shredded contracts. And it seems to me that when Disney invested all that it has invested and signed contracts with the state for the special district and everything else, that he can't just undo that, that he was violating their contractual rights. So why hasn't there been any lawsuit for enforcement of their contract? Yeah, great question. There actually are. So there are two suits pending. Good. Uh, Disney filed a suit in federal court where it 
essentially, you know, allege the First Amendment violation as well as other mm -hmm. uh, violations of law. And there's a state court action as well uh, because the state of Florida tried to sue Disney in state court for uh, for things that Disney did protecting itself against Governor DeSantis's hostile takeover of the company. So they ended up enacting laws and putting things into their, you know, essentially their charter and their bylaws to, to protect their ongoing business, mm -hmm. which frustrated the DeSantis people who were trying to overtake Disney and, you know, control the company. So the state of Florida then, DeSantis essentially sued Disney in the state court. So now you have two lawsuits pending at the same time. But, you know, just, Joe, to go back to a point that you made before about the importance of people understanding this, Let, let's be clear here. You know, it'd be easy for someone hearing me to write off what I'm saying as, well, Andrew Warren's a Democrat and he's just doesn't like Governor DeSantis. And that's true. I, I don't like him. And I do disagree with him politically. Oh, and Andrew Warren's just upset because he was suspended. You're damn right I'm upset I was suspended because he broke the law in doing it. But I get mad at a lot of things and I disagree with a lot of people on a lot of issues. That doesn't make them threats to democracy. What Governor DeSantis has done in this state should send chills down the spine of anybody, Republican, Democrat, independent, young, old, blue, red, doesn't matter. Anyone who cares about the rule of law and about the values that have been the beating heart of this country for 250 years, they should be really, really concerned about someone like Governor DeSantis, who shows a willingness to just break the law to promote his own political agenda. I mean, do you think people are seeing that in Florida? Because I mean, I, I'm, I'm confident that hopefully Democrats and young people and people who care about those things um, are, are alarmed and disturbed by what he's doing. But do Republicans and independents see that in Florida? And if not, how do we get them to see what he's doing? Look, information is the currency of democracy. Uh, I think that was Thomas Jefferson who said that it was a little bit before my time, but <laughs> it's, you know, you have to have to have informed people. And so talking about the issues and having a free media, you know, why we don't see a free media in North Korea, right? I mean, having media that covers these issues and having people talk about them and just paying attention to the things that affect everyday people's lives. I mean, DeSantis has waged this war on woke, right? The governor of Florida right now is off in Iowa, you know, worrying about people going woke. He needs to be here in Florida worrying about people going broke. I mean, there are economic issues and healthcare issues and educational issues and environmental issues that impact people's everyday lives here in the state of Florida. Why isn't our governor focused on that? Because he's running for president and he sees a different path. Wow, this is all amazing. And, you know, when you mentioned the woke, one of the things he's been big on is banning books, which to me is one of the worst things that anyone could do. And he's been successful. Um, so how are the polls showing him in Florida? Is he going to have support even in Florida? Well, ultimately, that's up for the voters to decide. I'm not a pollster, so I don't know what the latest polling is. I mean, I can see the same polling that everyone else sees that shows uh, that he's way behind uh, Donald Trump in the Republican yeah. in, the, in the primary. Obviously, there's a lot of time uh, before the primary election for that. But it's important for people to know what's happening in Florida. And I can tell you this. During the last legislative session, when there's an affordability crisis happening in Florida, when insurance rates are skyrocketing, 
when people are getting bills showing their homeowner's insurance doubling and tripling, when rents and mortgages are going through the roof. That's what people are concerned about. They don't care about this war on woke. And when they look at what the governor and the legislature focused on during the last session, I know that people from across the political spectrum are frustrated because they don't want to see a government playing political games. They want to see a government that solves problems for everyday people. I'm, I, you mentioned previously um, that you hope that Ron DeSantis would read a constitution. I hope that he also reads a constitution, but I think it's also important to keep in mind, this is someone who graduated from, I think, Yale undergrad, Harvard Law School. Do you think he actually doesn't know what he's doing? And I, if you think that, if, if not, I mean, what do you think his end goal is with all of this? I think his end goal is to be president. I think he's been angling to be president for a few years now. He went from someone who had, you know, candidly done some things that Democrats approved of when he was first elected. He came out as a relatively reasonable, moderate governor at the beginning. But then someone whispered in his ear or he decided that if he went far, far to the right, he had a chance to become president. So that's what he started doing. You mentioned he's Yale undergrad, Harvard Law. I mean, does he actually know better? Probably. He's just playing the fool. I mean, he is mimicking Donald Trump. I, and look, it, it's crazy, right? Look, think back to Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, whether, whether you agree or disagree with his policy, this was a serious policy thinker, right? He had big ideas about taxes and government and communism. He had to convince people that he was the actor who actually was a serious policy thinker. Now we have Ron DeSantis doing the exact opposite. Guy's a Harvard and Yale educated attorney who's trying to convince people, you know, that the biggest problem facing Americans is like woke poetry. I mean, come on, where are we now? So I, I, listening to you, I'm very impressed and think that you should definitely run for re-election, but maybe you should run for even a higher office. So I'm wondering if you're thinking of uh, running for any other position in an upcoming election. Well, I don't know if you could hear my dog barking in the background. He wants the answer to that question as well. Um, <laughs> well. My focus at this point has been solely on getting reinstated to the job that I was elected to do by the people. Yeah. So I've been putting every ounce of energy into fighting this battle, not just because it affects me and the voters of Hillsborough County, but because it's so important for free speech and fair elections and the rule of law across the state. It is flattering to hear people encouraging me to run for other positions, for people to say, hey, Andrew, we have the confidence in you to go run for, you know, Senate or governor, or attorney general or pope, whatever it is. <laughs> but, um, you know, those opportunities may come down the road. That's a decision for me to make with my family. But really right now, my focus is on being the best state attorney that I can possibly be as I was elected to do by the people of Hillsborough County. And what's your dog's name? Because Brisby, my dog, wants to know. <laughs> uh, my dog's name is Dudley. Dudley. Oh. Hi, Dudley. Okay. And if you ever run for any higher office, let us know. I'm sure many people will uh, support your candidacy, including Jill and me. But um, one last question for you, which is how can people support you in this uh, fight for you, know, you to be reelected in 2024? Well, there are a couple ways. I mean, one is uh, I think the most important thing people can do is just learn about what's happening. Right. Go and Google 
the case and read the judge's opinion or read the news about it. And, you know, you don't have to take my word for it. As I said before, this wasn't my opinion. This was facts that the suspension was illegal. Uh, you know, people can always come support us at andrewwarrenfl.com. Uh, that's where, you know, we have uh, an organization set up to help support the fight for free speech and uh, for the rule of law. Again, the website is andrewwarrenfl.com. And I appreciate all the people from across, not just my community, but across the state and across the country who've, been reach, who've reached out to support me because they know what's at stake. They know how important this is. So we will put that all in the show notes. And if there's, I have um, looked at the federal case, the decision of the judge, but if you have any state filings that you would like us to post on the website, um, on our show notes, let us know and send them to us. We'll put those up there too, because I do think knowledge is power and being informed is the first responsibility of every citizen. And this, because DeSantis is a candidate for president, makes this much more than a Florida issue. This makes this a national issue that everyone has to take seriously. Absolutely. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you so much for all that you do. And best of luck with uh, the fight to come. My pleasure. Thank you so much for what both of you do all the time. And thanks for having me. I look forward to being back. Thanks. Thank you. So, Jill, that was a really chilling episode, I thought. And, you know, maybe it's worth just talking about kind of what we kind of feel in this moment as, you know, you're from, you. we always talk about the intergenerational dyna dynamic here. And, I mean, have you ever experienced this moment where we're seeing someone like Ron DeSantis and other Republicans who are so just shameless about taking away rights and attacking people and, and now removing state prosecutors and attorneys from actually doing their job. I mean, I, it, it's chilling for me and it's alarming for, I think, th this generation. But what is kind of how do you see this? Um, well, first of all, I was when when uh, Andrew said uh, made a reference to and uh, to Thomas Jefferson saying <laughs> that was a little before my time. It was even before my time. OK, so. I love that he had this really intergenerational focus. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, it's enough between you and me, and he falls in between. Um, obviously, this is a serious, serious thing, and this is not intergenerational. This should be something that is, I don't know what the right word is, all generational, um, because everyone should care about our freedoms and these are threats to our freedoms that we have seen. I mean, if you just look at Ron DeSantis' record of taking rights away, it's not like he's creating rights. He's taking no. them away. No it, you know, the right to abortion, the right to read a book, all of those are rights that we have yeah. long enjoyed. And it's very, very, very scary. Um, you know, we both we both sort of chuckled when he said, you know, when I asked the question, have you ever, or when you asked the question, have we ever seen this in other countries? And he responded, you know, maybe yeah. North Korea, maybe China. And I, you know, we, we chuckled a little bit, but that is really kind of what's happening in those countries. And if we aren't careful, if we don't pay attention to what we do in 2024, if people don't show up to vote, we could end up in that same situation. So, you know, it's, it's, it's laughable until, you know, that happens. And I hope everyone kind of takes what he says and and really treats it seriously. Well, I've, I've quoted this before, but right after uh, President Obama uh, left the White House, he spoke at an event in Chicago for the Economic Club. And one of the questions he was asked by the audience had to do with what can we do? Yes. <laughs> and he said, be informed, be involved, and get out the vote. 
And that's still the best advice that anyone could possibly give to everyone listening. Whatever your viewpoint, one of two candidates will eventually become the president. And you have to make a choice. And it's not the perfection ideal candidate. It's one or two. Get out the vote. Do it. That's what has to be happen. You have to be informed in order to vote sensibly and listening to someone like Andrew and what has happened to him. And then think about what's happening in Georgia, where they're trying to pass a law that would let them fire other well, district attorneys is what it's called there, which is the same thing as a state attorney. It's basically a county level local prosecutor. Um, and they're trying to do that in, in Georgia and who knows where else if they don't like um, or where they're trying to take away the vote in certain counties in Texas. Not in all counties, just in the ones that are Democratic. Uh, all campuses. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So folks you got to be informed and you can't just sit by and let it happen yeah you have to take action uh you know my generation was one of the first really politically active you know starting with the vietnam war and the civil rights movement and things have gotten quieter it's up to your generation victor to get involved and to do these things to make sure that we retain any semblance of our democracy. But I, I, speaking of democracy, I do, before we end this episode, uh, want to say we're a day late on happy Juneteenth, yes. but um, we also haven't talked about this being Pride Month. And yeah. I, I think that we need to recognize those two elements of our democracy yes. and say, you know, happy Juneteenth and happy Pride Month. And Victor and I certainly support you. And if you can think of any ways in which we can do more to, um, in fact, Victor and I have been talking about, and maybe some of our listeners will have a suggestion. We've talked about the words that are used to describe the LGBTQIA plus community. And it's harder and harder to remember all the letters that you're supposed to say. But it's it's hard for people who want to be informed and want to do the right thing to use the correct terminology. And I have friends who have children who are trans or um, bi or gender fluid. And in talking to them about exactly what do those things mean and how do you determine that I think it would be an interesting discussion and we'd like to have someone who is an expert in that field. So if you know someone who's an expert who could inform all of us about the proper terminology, I think it would be helpful to acceptance to understand the terminology. Yeah, because language really does matter. And speaking of Juneteenth, I was just on Twitter the other day and, and just kind of scrolling through Juneteenth. And it's actually one of those days, I mean, that really does not get taught in schools a lot. I mean, right. it's um, just under taught and, and something, uh, one of my favorite authors, um, Min Jin Lee tweeted this thing, which I think is worth reading. She said, I honor Juneteenth for many reasons. One of which is that every person who lives in America should recognize that enslaved black people were undeniably gaslit out of their freedom. And this is something that we need to remember as a nation. Holiday should mark historical truths. I just thought that was really powerful. And I think Juneteenth is such an important date. And thank you to President Biden for being the one to recognize it as a federal holiday. Um, before this, I don't think many people would have even known about it. So it's a very important um, day. And just like Jill said, um, just this month generally too, with it being Pride Month. Um, we definitely and it does, it does relate to 
our topic today and talking yes. about Ron DeSantis because yep. Yep. he does not want history no, facts exactly. taught. And he is trying to make sure that anything that makes somebody uncomfortable isn't taught. Well, it may be uncomfortable, but not only were we a slave country, yeah. but then we didn't let people know when they were unenslaved, when the uh, proclamation, the Emancipation Proclamation, which will now be on display alongside of the other, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, it's now going to be at the, um, you know, on public display. So everyone should go see that. But those are the facts of our history, and we need to know them so we don't repeat them. Yeah. Um, so and that's what history is history makes us uncomfortable. That's what that's what makes America's history American history. I mean, it's just there are highs and there are lows, and I think all of us should have a complete and full understanding of it because, like we've kind of echoed throughout this conversation, knowledge is power, and you can't just have a partial right. understanding of history. You have to and not knowing history dooms you yeah. to repeat it. Exactly. So let's let's move on and. Yeah. Knowing history is how you do that. What's that one quote? History doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Um, and we should all you know, remember that. Um, well, this was such an amazing episode of iGen Politics with Andrew Warren. Um, we will include all of his resources and uh, you know ways to find him and support him on our in our show notes. So check that out. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of iGen Politics. You don't want to miss that. Um, and we'll be back. I and mean, you can follow us uh, right here on YouTube.com/slash/Politicon or also on our Twitter pages. We're live streaming there as well now. And if you can't watch us, you can listen to us wherever you follow your podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts. We are pretty much everywhere. Um, thank you, everyone, for watching or listening, and we will see you all next week. Mm -hmm.